0: Everyone out there who's watching or listening right now, here is my wonderful friend who I have been uh, beseeching to come and do (laughs) podcasts, Mirabai Bush. Hi, Mirabai.
1: Hi, Raku. Uh,
0: I'm happy you're here. Me too. So for those of you who don't know, I mean, I think if those of you that are listening, of course, many of you are aware of ramdas.org. Ramdas, I'm sure you're aware of, and that you got an announcement last uh, fall about Ramdas's new book with Mirabai Bush called Walking Each Other Home. But in case you didn't, now you know. And there's, Mir- there's the book right there. Fantastic. <laughs> um so yeah we're we're gonna do a bunch of things today, but of course, we do wanna reference it. It's, it's a absolutely gorgeous book and uh first thing i wanna talk about though
1: mm-hmm.
0: when we were in India, so everybody i mean we have done. Couple of podcasts, Mirabai and I, over the years, the last couple of years. And uh, so many of you do know that uh, Mirabai uh, went over to India after Ram Das went back the second time. And there is where we met with, at the feet of Neem Karoli Baba, uh, alongside of other people you know, like Krishna Das and Rameshra Das, and so on. Um, so. While we were there one day and I'd like you to tell this story because it kind of fits in with things that I've been really thinking about lately. Okay. And that is when you got your name and you went there, you were with your partner, right? Not mm-hmm. husband? Yeah. Was it partner married? then? Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Right, you got married okay. later. We did. Okay, tell that
1: story. <laughs> okay. Let me think. Um well, when we were with Maharaji, he would often give people names, and you know, as you probably know, the first time Ramdas went to see Maharaji, uh, he gave him the name Ramdas. And in the Hindu tradition, um, it's a practice to receive a name and then to figure out how to live into that name. So Ramdas, his name is Servant of God, so he had dedicated his life to the divine. And uh so we all wanted a name and Maharaji just uh he would give them out. I mean he just one day he would just say to someone, your name is, you know. And uh so some people got names soon after they came and some waited months, years. Uh, <laughs> they weren't it a,
0: they weren't in good shape too after some time. <laughs> Ramesh
1: got his name on the day he was leaving to go home.
0: Really? I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. remember that. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So it was always a thing among us, getting yeah. a name. Yeah. And um, uh, my name was Linda and before. And uh, uh, Maharaji used to call me by name, and call me Linda, but the way he said it, it sounded like Nanda. <laughs> and I thought, oh, he's going to name me after the bull. You know, <laughs> she was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> she was bull. Nandi. please don't do that Maharaji Uh, anyhow a lot of time went by and then one day I guess I've been there maybe a year um, he said your name is Mirabai and uh, then he said do you know who Mirabai was and I said no and Radha a friend was sitting next to me and he said Radha you tell her and Radha did know the stories, um, that uh, the original Mirabai was a queen in I think 16th century Rajasthan. And um, she was, um, she had become from the time she was a girl, she became a devotee of Krishna. She had her little altar in her room and she would sing to Krishna, worship Krishna. But she was in a family and in India, usually whole families are devoted to or committed to a particular deity, and this family um, was devoted to Shiva. And so, her mother and father-in-law are very unhappy with her for worshiping Krishna. Um, and so they tried to um, they tried to get her to stop, and she wouldn't stop. And so then they Uh, tried ways to get rid of her. And so one day they sent her um, a snake, a poisonous snake in a basket. Um, And when Mirabai, since she was so pure, when she opened up the top of the basket, there was no longer a snake there, but there were beautiful flowers. So So if you think
0: you have some parental issues going on, everybody (laughs) listening out there, uh, I don't or think in-laws. it compares. <laughs> or in laws. Yeah. This is okay. This is beyond the beyond. Yeah, So turned into flowers. Sorry.
1: Yeah. So then, and they tried again, and th- this time they sent her a cup of poison uh, that was that looked like you know tea, I suppose, and um, when she drank it, because she was so pure, it turned into amrit, which is the nectar of the gods. Um, so. Mirabai didn't know quite what to do. She was she was at risk of losing her life, and so she packed up and left the palace. She left um, everything she knew, and she left all uh, all the kind of riches and ease of life in the palace. To um, she sang in the streets to Krishna, and um, she other women. Gathered around. her was very unusual in the 16th century in Rajasthan, um, but she did it. And uh, the poems that the songs that she wrote are poetry um, still uh, still exist. They're still sung frequently in India, and in this country, a number of American poets have um, translated. People like Robert Bly and uh, Jane Hirshfield, uh have have created great translations of Mirabai's love poems, love poems to God. And um, so when Maraji gave me the name, Radha told me the stories. And um, in some of the stories, it's the, uh, it's the in-laws. And in some of the stories, some of the ways the stories are told, it is her husband who does, who sends her the poison. Um, That's the
0: way I only way I understand it was yeah, the husband.
1: There are many versions, you know. So, uh, anyhow, <laughs> uh, my my uh, friend boyfriend who would later become my husband. I don't think we were married yet. No. Um, uh she married us at some point. <laughs> he he jumped up and. And ran away toward the gate of the temple. And if you've heard any of the stories about being with Neem Karali Baba, you know that none of us ever left unless we absolutely had to. Um, and even then, when he would tell us to go away, we would just not want to go. And we'd sit as long as we could. So somebody getting up spontaneously and running away was unheard of.
0: After he heard this name being given to his partner. Yes. Mirabai, and he knew the story. (laughs) He obviously did know the story. He heard the story. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. uh
1: Yeah. So he got him and ran. And then um, I think either Krishnadas or Ramdas went after Maharaji said, Go go get him and see what's going on. So maybe it was Krishnadas and brought him back. And Maharaji said, Why did he run away? And Krishna Das said, um, because Maharaji, he didn't want to be the husband who keeps his wife from God. He identified, He figured that if I was getting the name Mirabai, that he was part of the story too, and that he uh, would be the cruel husband. Um, Maharaji said, this is one of my favorite things he ever said to any of us. He said, why does he think that way?
0: And then right. Then he said, right mine too he, favorite thing ever it's what yeah. i was thinking about and why i said you got to tell this yeah. story cuz this yeah go ahead
1: so then then he said to him his name was john then he said your name is krishna and you shall be called by that name so he why why do you why did he identify with the with the cruel husband instead of mira's real lover who was krishna um but yeah, so many times I have like chosen the the low road or the, the, you know, the kind of grim possibility or the dumb way of thinking about things. And then I said to myself, why do you think that way? Yeah, <laughs> <You
0: know? laughs> yeah. it's a mantra. It's a mantra. <laughs> it's fantastic. I mean, I, I, we've been thinking a lot of uh, and talking a lot uh, with different people and mind rolling about how stuck we get in our stories and how much we believe in our thoughts and so on. And this mantra, why do you think like that, is, uh, to me, it's a big antidote to the way in which we get lost like that. and And the way in which we like to beat ourselves up, too. I mean, I'm the shithead husband who poisoned
1: my wife. I'm yeah. not the yeah. god of love. Why? Right. <laughs> in fact, we're all both. But yeah. if we identify <laughs> with the God of love, we're more likely to act in a better way.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's absolutely it. Um, now, uh, Mirabai, uh, everybody uh, who doesn't know, Mirabai uh, has been involved and founded uh, a wonderful uh, NGO or nonprofit. Contemplative mind, and they've done work in so many different areas of uh, of society, not only to the um, the most natural. Uh, people that would be interested in meditation and so on and so forth. They've uh, Mirabai's led uh, uh, excursions into both Google and the Army as two different, way different kinds of organizations. And so, um, so you have been involved in this a long time, and you've you I know how many people you meet. I mean, you know, it's extraordinary, really, but. The condi- so all the work that you're doing, the conditioning that that um, we all have had in our lives that uh, leads us to wrong view, basically the Buddhist idea of wrong yeah. view. That conditioning is so so very strong. I mean, just in your own experience, have have you had? Uh, do you have an optimistic feeling about people being able to work uh, with their uh, stuff, quote unquote, and uh, be able to change that conditioning? And I know you're friendly with people like Richie Davidson, who uh, has done a lot of work, you know, uh, and there's Mm -hmm. all these people working around neuroscience and so on. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit, would you? Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's good to bring up Richie. Well, Yes, I did, starting in 95, uh, with the Center for Contemplative Mind, we we had the uh, intention, mission, to introduce contemplative practices, meditation, yoga, and so on, into secular settings in America. And at that time, they were only being used in um, health and healing, the work that that John Kabat-Zinn and Dean Ornish and even Dan Goleman were doing um, in health and physical and psychological healing. But um, not anyplace else. It's hard to remember now because it seems that at least, you know, mindfulness and yoga are everywhere, but then not at all. And um, we worked in all these different sectors, uh, you know, with scientists and business leaders and, in higher education, with philanthropists, journalists. Um, And yeah, I saw so much change because these are people who had not done any of this before. And uh, so, you know, in the beginning, often uh, the change is very obvious. Later on, it gets a little subtle, shall we say. (laughs) But... um, uh, And uh, right around that time, Richie was starting his um, research on the neuroscience of meditation. And he and the others were able to do that because uh, scientists had for the first time acknowledged um, neuroplasticity, which is the ability of the brain to change uh, all the way through life until the very end. Hmm. You know, they used to say, you know, old dogs can't learn new tricks. <laughs> I was happy to hear that. They can. In fact, they can. <laughs> Not only can they, but we do. We keep changing all the time, and we're being. our brains are being changed by what we experience. And so if you intentionally experience um, something like, The disciplines of meditation, or yoga, or chanting, or um, then it is going to change your brain in a certain way. Um, That research and just the the kind of acknowledgement of neuroplasticity really actually helped us enter a lot of these domains because science, you know, and we were working with kind of successful leaders in all these different fields, and so they were all very committed to, you know. Uh, Critical thinking, and um, we worked a lot with lawyers and judges, for example. So, um, uh, but yeah, I not only saw it in people who, you know, wanted to talk about it after they started going through changes and seeing things in different ways, and recognizing that in any moment there are choices. uh, And if you're Quiet and open enough, you're able to see what those choices are, and then, um, so not only did I see it, but the science was uh, confirming it at that time. So, yeah, the answer is yes.
0: Yeah. What do you think's uh, the most effective way to turn around our conditioning? Is it medit- in my own um, thought? Around that, it's it's really a combination of of awareness, mindfulness, awareness, and meditation. That, uh, if not also a little work with a little therapy work, to really get at what exactly the the neurotic tendencies are. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that um, different practices help us change in different ways, and also that um, different people respond well to different practices, and so it's really finding that right match. I think that people respond to different practices at different times in their lives. I know after having done, I don't know, 20 years of a mix of um, mindfulness meditation, insight meditation, yoga and kirtan, um, I went through a really hard time in my life and, um, I couldn't, I could not sit still and be quiet. I mean, my mind was just racing and I know you're just supposed to come back to the breath, but, you know, I tried and then I tried walking long contemplative walks. Nothing was working, um. And uh, actually, I went to Joseph Goldstein during that time. I said, "Joseph, I can't do it." Hmm. He said, "Nearby, Joseph, so great. Nearby, Zen masters would kill for this opportunity." <laughs> really? <laughs> of being so disturbed that you have to work really hard to get. By. But it wasn't working for me, not being a Zen master. So uh, that's when I started doing Aikido, and so, and which was. Very physical, and uh, I realized that um, after five years of doing on keto, I never once had a thought on the mat other than, you know, what I should be doing or what was going to happen next. I think it was because I was so terrified that <laughs> that uh, I knew I had to pay attention, or um, and uh, so that. It just, I shifted into a different way of waking up, and it really helped me. And then I, since then, other things. But, um, so I think, first of all, it's really important to know that, you know, there isn't a practice. And people might think that these days, because mindfulness is everywhere, you know. And uh, and what's called yoga, although there's so many different kinds, is kind of everywhere. But, um, you know, there are many many practices and it's important uh, to find one that works for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and they, you know, kirtan really opens the heart, opens the heart so that you stop thinking about other things because you're not in your thinking mind, you're in your heart. When you stop, then when the kirtan is over, there's a kind of, of cleansing that's happened to your mind so that there's more you can, you can more clearly see um, what what's happening in the moment and what the choices are, and that's what that's what we want. We want that uh, that clarity uh, of of mind and heart, so that we can um, see the nature of reality.
0: Yeah, the, that clarity through whatever practice. Yeah, the resultant clarity is absolutely 100% necessary to see the motivations, to see the projections, to see that we really don't know nothing. I mean, we are. uh, We there was a thing with with, uh, our friend Bob Thurman, Mm -hmm. and he talked about. He was talking about emptiness and talking about ignorance. And of it, the, the source of, of suffering is ignorance. But even worse than ignorance is wrong knowing. And mm. then you start to think about how much yeah. stuff you know, I know, in terms of everything, our whole lives. So getting some clarity to yeah. back that up is uh, extraordinarily important.
1: Yeah, that's really good how we're so convinced we're right about the way things are. Uh, A couple of things come to mind. One is maybe the only good thing about this current political moment we're in is that you can see people on all sides of whatever issue it is are absolutely sure they're right. And, and (laughs) you know, are... And yeah. we're not always right, even though we're, we're completely sure that we are. Um, and um, well, I'll another funny thing about perception, just that um, we leap to assuming certain things. And one morning, my older sister would... She always had trouble in the mornings. She was always kind of dopey in the morning and liked to have her coffee, you know? So she came downstairs sitting at the kitchen table. She was having her coffee and she had her glasses on. And uh, for some reason, a lens popped out of her one side of her glasses and fell into the, um, into the coffee. And (laughs) she said, (laughs) Oh my God, there's ice falling from the ceiling and I'm going blind. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that great?
0: Oh, that's really great. That (laughs) sums it all up. Yep. Oh my
1: God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean.
0: (laughs) And that's happening. Everybody. (laughs) Don't we agree, everybody, that we do that? I don't know how many times a day. Get it wrong, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. So, clarity is the byword. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, and that process in insight practice and uh, mindfulness practice—that, that the the um, process of questioning, inquiring into your mind, looking to see what's really there—that is such good training.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you glossed over what's going on today. But I thought, mm. I thought <laughs> I wanted to read something from uh, our friend Annie Lamont uh, okay. that she has about this, mm-hmm. and it it's about the most, you know, toughest of emotions to really deal with, and it's what's cause it's what's endemic for this polarization that's going on in the country now. How did we become so filled with hate? This is not who we are. Hate is the worst emotion of all, second only to acute jealousy. (laughs) Certain special people of late have caused a majority of us to experience derangement. Some of us have developed hunchbacks or ticks in our eyelids. Even my Buddhist friends have been feeling despair, and when they go, bad, you know the end is nigh. (laughs) Booker T. Washington said, I shall allow no man to belittle my soul by making me hate him. Mm-hmm. And this is the most awful thing about it. Yet, part of me sort of likes it too for the flush of righteousness, the bond to half the electorate. Who would we be without hate? That's terrific, right, Annie? Right. Oh, my God. But who... That Boy, we are talking about again... The light of clarity into this reality, I mean, I am d- doing it whenever I see him or any of the, I guess Paul Krugman yeah. called morons that are, did you see Paul Krugman's uh, article oh, in the yeah. New York Times? Did, oh,
1: oh Yeah, did he call, did Surrounded,
0: he, yeah, he called them morons. morons. I thought, wow, yeah. that's okay, I guess, you know, yeah. New York Times is hated so much, it doesn't matter what they say about you know. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I don't, you know, it's it's a really hard time. I I find that actually the hardest thing for me is that I've spent so much time Hey, hang, hang on attention. one sec, Mirabai. I'm going to ask yeah. you.
0: Yeah, you got to stay oh, there. Sorry. You can't sort yeah, of yeah. go back and forth.
1: Um I spend so much time paying attention to this stuff. I mean, I really you know, I want to be well informed so that I can contribute whatever is possible to healing the situation, but I spend much more time than I need to. I know yeah. that. and um, and it's um, it's I feel like my brain is like I'm exercising it too much at, the, at a very superficial level, you know, just like hearing the facts of what's going on. And, of course, we know a lot of the times they aren't even the facts. You know? And uh, paying attention to all of it, um, I didn't – I mean, I was always well-informed about the news, but I didn't spend the time I do now. But there is this kind of, I guess – what it is, is a, um, you know, survival reflex that we feel like it's back to the time of dinosaurs or tigers anyhow, you know, I feel like I better know what's going on or something terrible is going to happen. Yeah, you know, to me also, it's like, you
0: know, there's a fire down the street, let's pop over there. And then you find <laughs> yourself there for about 10 hours watching the yeah, building burn right. down. Uh, yeah. So there's that kind of a th- Thing too, it's uh, yeah. also horrible, <laughs> and uh, there's also the entertainment factor. Yeah, All these you know, networks are surviving on this factor yeah, in yeah, terms of the viewership. Sure. It's nuts.
1: Yeah. But, so it's it's a hard time. It's really, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know i I think about the kids. They're you know they're very exposed to it. They have to be. I I and um, just. I mean, just the way he talks about people, and just just this dehumanizing uh, of of many people, and especially people who he thinks are not like him. But um, <laughs> one one day, this is a while ago, and uh, uh, Trump bombed Syria. This is last year. I mean, um, and uh, so we were sitting. Uh, around in chairs and talking about what had just happened and uh, my granddaughter dahlia was uh, sitting on the floor playing with toys you know and um she uh she also she's loves the screen but her father doesn't really let her near it most of the time they don't have a tv and she doesn't have a iPad, and, but you know, she always likes to get near my phone if she can. So we're sitting there talking about it. She's at our feet, and then she looks up and she said, Oh no, Trump bombed Siri. <laughs> <laughs> she was, I realized that she was ready for Trump to do anything bad. <laughs> Trump bombed Siri.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the indoctrination for one half, and the other half is the opposite. Oh boy, yeah. Well, again, this is all to say that when we talk about mindfulness and we talk about neuroplasticity and the and the reality that one can change these habitual patterns, then we talk about what we're in right now, where we're having being confronted on a daily basis. Uh, by this stuff in ourselves, polarization, separation, anger, you know, the whole nine yards of it is a great opportunity. Yeah. uh, But a very, very uh, difficult one.
1: It's almost like one of those old teaching stories that, uh, particularly in Buddhism, they use them about, there's always somebody who's like utterly evil, you know, and then uh, uh, what happens in relation to him. So, um, I mean it gives you a glimpse of or i should say in as much as you haven't liberated loving kindness and compassion and care for others you if you don't do that then you tend toward behavior that is like really harmful to others and yeah. i mean he's like this extreme example of it but if it can encourage us to keep becoming more caring, loving, and, you know, people with wise discernment and a good sense of responsibility at the same time, being loving and caring. Um, I mean, I find him inspiring in that way. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's, uh, I'm going to give you one more Annie quote, which kind of takes us into this wonderful, I want to just talk about a couple of things from the book, uh, that Around our whole conversation is really around this uh, getting to this clarity point uh, that shines a light on every aspect of our li- inner lives. Uh, aging can be hard. She writes, "It might have been useful had we not followed the skin care rules of the '60s, which were to get as much sun as possible while slathered in baby oil and basking in the glow of a tinfoil tanning reflector." I read this before. That to somebody else It's like, my mother, that was it.
1: <laughs> your
0: inside person, your soul, the innermost baby in the nesting doll of you, is close by when you despair about your neck, your failing vision and drive. But your inside person also knows that with myopia, cluelessness and tiredness comes grace. And that's what uh, Mirabai, this book, so embodies uh, that you did with Ramdas. Uh, it's uh, it's really inspirational that way, uh, and it you know people say, "Well, this is a book about death and dying." I always tell them, "No, not at all. That this book speaks love on every page." Yes, that you will get some wisdom about how to deal with. Uh, transformation and impermanence right I mean yeah. and you, just talk yeah. about your own just a little bit of your experience of that and that what it did for you just in the doing of this
1: yeah well of course you know thinking about talking about reflecting on dying is really reflecting on life because we really don't know you know what happens on the other side. Uh, We know what we can do to prepare for death itself. But it turns out that really the uh, preparation to die well, die peacefully, die without regrets, um, is the same instruction for how to lead your life right now, every moment, fully and lovingly and well. So in talking, the the good thing about bringing death into awareness is that most of the time we repress it. I mean, the culture supports us doing that. We don't, it's not part of most of our lives until somebody we love, someone close to us dies, or we get a diagnosis, or we just notice that we're aging. (laughs) Uh, But usually, um, death isn't a much of a part of life. And there aren't that many conversations around it. Even when a loved one dies, um, mostly with your friends, you'll talk about the person who died and so on. But but rarely do we sit and talk about um, the ways in which we uh, are frightened of dying ourselves. We don't want to look at it. Um, and uh, I found that doing that was really transforming that I don't think I had a lot of super fears about dying. I know I'm going to die sooner than before. <laughs> and, um, uh, and Ram Dass will too. Um, but uh, so we spent about two years doing the book. Um, I, Ram just living in Maui and I was living in Massachusetts. So I would visit him. Uh, we'd sit in his room, we'd talk about it. Um, and then we, and we do some just being silent together. Um, and then I'd go home and I'd write it up. I wrote it as conversations between us. So I, I just recorded them with my little iPhone and, um, uh, Then I went home and wrote it up and then I'd go back again and read it to him and uh, it went like that. So it took about two years to do. And um, during that whole time, of course, it was foremost in my mind. And um, I really know now, having gone through that, that I am just, I just have much less I don't even know if it was fear before but now it just feels m- much more intimate more real and easier I feel like and you know I recognize who knows what will happen at, at, you know I'm I might have some such deep-seated fear that it'll burst out in the end but but I feel comfortable with it now and that makes the rest that makes my life day to day feel, it's hard to say, fuller, richer, easier. There's not this kind of thing out there that I don't want to think about. Um, uh, it all feels much more integrated than, than before. So I think that, um, or as someone wrote in, a, in one of the blurbs, you know, if you or anyone you know is in danger of dying someday, I recommend that you read this book. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really about living, although, we did also include um, suggestions about how to be with someone who is dying, um, and uh, also ways to look at ways to go through grieving and uh, how to prepare for your own death at, at the very practical ways as well as spiritually. Um and uh yeah it's mm. I'm just happier after after writing this book you all don't have to write it because <laughs> we did but um I've been getting really great feedback from people who've been reading it mm. uh,
0: by the way it's not it has a wonderful all through the book wonderful illustrations that uh it's quite beautiful and it's a, a great uh it's a great gift those of you who want to pick it up because you don't have it go to <laughs> ramdas.org shop okay i had to do that ad uh one of the things that in my own experience and actually it came from a ramdas quote and it made me realize something I, i'll i'll tell you about it and then you can Tell me your own experience. So, you know, Ram Dass talks about, and in the book, of course, you know from your experience that sitting with the dying is not just good service, but great sadhana, spiritual practice. Being with people who are dying is living on the edge of awakening. It brings me close to Maharaji, Nim Karoli Baba, close to the mystery, and opens my heart to love. So, I... This is again something I think I've mentioned before, but when my father was passing, Dasarat, uh, maybe the day before, something like that, our friend Dwarka came down from Taos. We were in Santa Fe. And uh, somehow he and I ended up s- meditating in the room with my father, who was he's still aware of who was around him. And he wasn't speaking, but he was aware. Uh, and there's a beautiful picture of Maharaji at the foot of his bed up on the wall. And I had a, this experience that is perfectly described by the edge of awakening that was like just at a precipice of, I guess, from the two to the one. I mean, that's too intellectual, but it was just at a precipice of complete peace and quiet, and not thinking, t- no time and space. And in that moment, some suddenly I had the realization, shit, I had the same experience I remember with Maharaji when I first met him. Hmm. It was right, at, you know, and the edge of awakening is, is a perfect term mm-hmm. for it. So then I thought, wow, you know, so it's like that was to me my, Birth, you know, a yeah, spiritual yeah. birth, obviously, uh, and this was death, birth and death, and it all became one continuum. And it was a, it was profound in that moment with with my father. And I'm sure that you've had similar experience here, especially going through all of this. And I know you, uh, most especially, if I remember correctly, you you had uh, that kind of experience with your sister when she left
1: yeah um I actually wasn't there the, the moment my sister left but I was uh, and I I wasn't with my mother either who because there's a there is a thing a, what, what to say a common uh, thing that happens when people die that when um, nobody's in the room is the time they choose to die I have been with my mother for 48 hours not you know, on the bed in the hospital. And then I just was exhausted and I went down the hall to take a little 20-minute nap and that was when she died. But I was with um, uh, my friend, Mary McClellan, when she died. And um, and I'd also both uh, birthed a child. You were there. and. Um, and been in the room when other babies were born, and I remember uh, that when Mary died, it felt, you know, as you said, you can't describe it. But there was an energy in the room that was so identical with with um, the beginning and end of life. It's just being in the presence of the mystery. Uh, you know, where life? Where does this come from? From inside somebody's body, and then death? Where does it go? It's really, um, it's so outside our uh, our capacity for rational understanding that it just, yeah, it pushes you to the edge, you know, and yeah. uh, and in a beautiful way. Um, I mean, there's all there's sadness when people die, but it's also I just felt it's like a privilege to be that close to this mystery that is at the heart of our our lives. How do we get here? What are we doing here? You know, and where do we go when we leave? You know? So yeah, that's, um, it's precious.
0: Yeah. Which is why, and Ram Dass says this all the time, has forever in his work with, uh, with the dying people, he has said to people, do what you can to get close to people that are passing. (laughs) You know, either in as a volunteer and start when you're young because, you know, and how many teachers say by the time you get older, you get a lot of uh, infirm, shall we say, things going on that yeah. prevent you from actually even doing simple mindfulness practices. Yeah. So start yeah. with you. But being around then, of course, we, we got a, a taste of that uh, in India because death is way out in the open in India. And especially if you go to a place called Benares, where people go to die and get burned on the banks of the Ganges. in And there's one place called Monocarnica, where they've been doing this for thousands of years. I mean, it's just 24-7. So uh, a, a meditation there goes a long way to uh, some deep self-investigation, uh, shall we say.
1: Yeah, and for people who are witnessing their loved ones being burned, or their bodies being burned. I'm, I'm sure that that, I haven't had that experience, but I'm sure that that's an incredible teaching of recognizing that the body is not who we are. Um, and you know, Ramdas has it in Hawaii, in Maui now, they got a permit for outdoor um, cremation the only other place in the country is um, uh, Colorado. Uh, Chogun Trungpa was uh, burned on a pyre outside outside Boulder. But so Ramdas is planning to be the first person in Maui. And I just, you know, I we pretty much finished the book, and I was busy saying, "Oh, I think I've given up all my you know, attachments around death and Ramdas's death because we talk about it a lot." And then he told us that, and I thought, "Oh no, that is going to be if if I'm still around, that is going to be really hard." And of course, Ram Dass said, "It's it's spiritual practice. That's why I want to do it. It's spirit, not not for me," he said, "but for everybody else who's there. Yes. Um, I'm sure
0: it will be." Yeah, I'm, I know. He went. He told me that as. Uh... Uh, yes, I'm going to be burned <laughs> in an open <laughs> casket, uh, in a pyre and outdoors. And yeah. I said, are you absolutely, uh, certain that you're, you're going to, we are going to have to live through this. You're going to do this to me.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's how I felt.
0: <laughs> I can't believe you do that.
1: Yeah. You said, yeah, I'll be good yeah. for you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the book, and more towards the beginning, actually, to me, uh, one of the most crucial aspects of being able to integrate uh, the mystery in a way that uh, banishes fear, shall we say, uh, Ram Dass talk, the main preparation for dying is giving up any sense of separateness. When you feel separate, it's very painful and then if you think of that in every aspect of our lives inner lives outer lives everything we just discussed about what's going on in this country and the the vast separation yeah. the uh, and then the feeling like that we are this you know individual me and everything we think and every story we tell ourselves supports that uh, living in that separation unless that Uh, tree uh, is cut down as uh, Bob Marley (laughs) said in one of his songs Uh, it's very very difficult to even think of cozying up to the idea of impermanence the idea of of moving on in a transition uh, separation did that come up more in, in your talks with him
1: um just the, import, the whole importance of separation and recognizing that it's artificial.
0: Yeah, that, yeah. And what and what are the potential ways in which we can transform that? That it mm-hmm, goes back mm-hmm. to, of course, yes, everything we're talking about neuroplasticity and and changing habitual patterns and so mm-hmm. on. But this is the biggest of all.
1: Yeah, it's the biggest of all. And that's why the wall is such a symbol.
0: Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) But, um, uh, yeah, we talked about practices also that um, help us remember, help us dissolve the boundaries and remember the ways in which we are all interconnected. And, um, uh, And when that becomes real... For us, uh, we behave in such a different way. You know, it's, um, of course, there are, you know, there are separations at the level of material things. We're in different bodies. But um, remembering the ways in which we are interconnected and that we are all, that our soul or spirit is all part of one um, is it changes everything It changes. Then you, then you find, I mean, it's related to what the Buddhists are calling emptiness. It's not really emptiness. It's the, uh, it's that there are no uh, false concepts, attachments there. And when that's gone, you can see and know um, that we are all part of the same thing. And then out of that naturally arises, compassion and compassionate action because why wouldn't I want to relieve your suffering since we're all connected? Um, And there are, we do include various practices Mm -hmm. and that the reflection on dying, you know, we know that when we die, we leave our body and what is it that leaves the body and, uh, and where does it go? But that um, reflecting on that, Ha- helps to um, remove that sense of separation. And then there's also that um, uh, connection that you feel once when you reflect on dying, that yeah, we're all, every one of us is going to die. And we all share that. I lead a practice often um, with different groups of people uh, called Just Like Me. And in it, it's a compassion practice and it's too. Uh, it's to remind us that although our differences are important and that we need to honor and celebrate our differences, is because um, that diversity uh, creates a much more interesting, creative world. But while we're while we are honoring our differences, we need to also recognize the way in which we're all the same. And so that practice takes people through um, ways of, in which we all suffer. And, and so you get guided in hearing, you know, this person, uh, this person has suffered, has had, uh, physical pain and suffering just like me. And this person has had, uh, uh has been sad in life just like me in their whole series. And then toward the end, the leader of it says, um, this person will die just like me. Mm. And it's such a powerful moment. You know, if every time, you know, we're with somebody, we took one second to look at that person and think this person will die just like me. The kind of poignant compassion that you feel, you know, you know, that person doesn't want to die just like me (laughs) and will. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's it's a beautiful meditation uh we should uh, we should offer that out there mirabai we should do that meditation in some form and and uh allow people to access it that would be a good thing uh, another thing from the book kind of uh, maybe our last little quote uh ramdas you need to find a pl- well first of all just outside of the Wonderful words of wisdom. Uh, the little in this book, the little uh, day-to-day kinds of things you hanging out with Ramdas that are presented, they give such a wonderful uh, picture of of what he his life as it is now and uh, and his his day-to-day and his day-to-day. He's no no different than when he gets on a Skype call with somebody or he does mm-hmm. a presentation. He's, he's exactly the same all the time. So you write, once he's settled, Ramdas says, this is how it is to be an old man. For anyone attached to self-image, it's hard. Anybody thinking about the past, he stops and is quiet. Maybe absorbing the truth of what he just said. And then we sit in silence and we say, should we include something about aging in the book? And um, so there's a little bit more accounting of that moment. Uh, and he says, "It's for aging is freeing. Okay, this is a, a positive, yeah. everybody, about aging. <laughs> uh, fewer attachment. He said, I used to comb my hair concerned about my baldness. Now I comb my hair with levity. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares about baldness? And he continued, "You need to, this is uh, this is the wisdom part. You need to find a place to stand in relation to change, where you are not frightened of it. Be with the changes, work with the changes, but at the same time cultivate emptiness." and we just, Mirabha just described a little bit of emptiness, and it's not about nothingness, empty of self-reference, you can start there, spaciousness, awareness, and clarity. Look, that word, it's, uh, it's there again. This is what the deep spiritual work of sadhana, spiritual path, is about. And so if we talk about separation being the biggest issue that we have to deal with in, in, in every aspect of our lives, uh, accepting impermanence probably is, uh, you've got to start there, right? You've got to start there. And uh, I I just head us back to the beginning of our conversation about the things that we can do to create a clarity so that we can see, we can have some really great inner knowledge and we can m- take actions from that place that really start to change our life. And, uh, and as Ramdas has said many times, if we change our insides and then we have an opportunity to radiate that out uh, to others. So, you know... Boy, it's fun having you
1: here. <laughs> it feels almost like being in the same room, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, Probably the... because there's no separation. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's the digital magic, you know, that's available to us. Uh, well, thank you for being here. And do you, is there anything else you want to say about this book? By uh, Everybody, I mean, it's really getting out there. And uh, we are... Really happy alongside of a lot of people, like Mirabai said. There's a bunch of feedback uh, that it's being uh, extraordinarily helpful because the central thing of it is not death; it's love. Okay, yeah. conversation yeah. about loving and dying. Is that what it says? And
1: as As Ragu said, it's loving. beautifully illustrated. Yeah. Yeah. But also, we we broke it into like little two and three page chapters, um, so that it's you know it's a pretty intense subject l- love as well as death and uh so but it's easy to um pick up and put down and read and then there are lots of practices at the back and um uh, yeah yeah
0: it's good you, you can you take it to the bathroom too because it's got short <laughs> I've heard people say that okay well <laughs> just want to get too much information here uh but, uh, and it's mm-hmm. a great also conversation starter. You put it on your, uh, on the uh, in the living room. Put it on the coffee table. Mm-hmm. Someone picks it up and go, wow. And you can get a whole thing going. Okay, here's a. We're going to think of a thousand <laughs> well, reasons why true. you should have this true. book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. mainly, it's uh, there's only one reason, and that's the love that y- you shared with Ramdas that is so ever present in this book. That's really what it's all about. So thank you. Uh, it was my idea, okay, though. Uh, will you <laughs> <Thank> acknowledge that?
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> uh, so idea. we'll have links. Uh, Mirabai uh, also has uh, been involved with other publications that we want to turn you on to.
1: Oh yeah, in on here's a plug. Okay. Mindful.org just today or yesterday, put up from Mindful Magazine, just put up a um, thing on 10, 10 powerful women and mindf- leaders in mindfulness. And um, there's me.
0: You're number one.
1: <laughs> and there's Sharon Salzberg. And... Um, many other people you probably Tara know, Brock, or would, or would sure be so. great to learn from. Yeah. So and it's a quick read. You know, they put it up because the women's march is coming, but um, it's fun to read and there's some really great women involved. Ah. In org
0: Yeah, and we're also going to give you links. To, there's a book Mirabai did with Ramdas that's an excellent book uh, from 80s maybe. I'm not 90s. sure. 90s. 90s. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's uh, what's the name of that book?
1: Compassion and Action.
0: Yes, and that's a lot of work that uh, Mirabai has been doing over the years as well. So we'll get links to everything and Mirabai's site and anything else Mirabai you want people to know about, you know, let us know. And we'll put it in the okay. show notes. And uh, and we're uh, inveigling Mirabai to start talking and doing podcasts. So we're going to get her to do that this year. So everybody look out for that and. Uh, Happy afternoon. <laughs>
1: Bye thanks everyone. Yeah, thanks, thanks for everybody.
0: Listening. Come back to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash mindrolling and we'll see you again.